welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Philippians, I will remind you last week, Paul's in chains in prison. He's, he's about to go on trial. Now, this isn't the time that he's going to die. He doesn't know that yet. He's kind of convinced that he's not going to, but he doesn't know for sure. And we know later, history tells us that he, was, he got released for a little while, and then when he wrote 2 Timothy, that was probably the last letter that he wrote. But he's in chains, and last week we looked at some of the reactions of his chains and the difficulty, but right in that very context of all that, all those bad circumstances, you'll notice he's got a can't lose, can't lose attitude. You ever use that term, I'm in a win-win situation, or I can't lose? Look what he says in verse 19, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supplication of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I'm hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. There's a guy standing in the locker room at the country club, and he's looking at a golf ball. One of his friends comes up beside him and said, have you got a new golf ball? He, he held it up, and he said, you won't believe this is the greatest golf ball that's ever been made. You cannot lose it. You hit it into the rough and it whistles. You hit it into the woods and a bell goes off inside of it. If you drive it into the lake, a big burst of steam shoots up six feet in the air for two minutes. You can't lose it. His friend said, that's incredible. Where, where did you get that ball? He said, I found it. That's about the same response I've got in all the other services. <laughs> Paul had found something that no one else seemed to have, and that was the fact that he couldn't lose. He had an attitude in these circumstances that is remarkable. Despite the fact that he's shackled because of the gospel, his hope is unshaken. I like the statement that says life is not about waiting for the storm to pass. It's about dancing in the rain. And Paul could do that no matter what. 
And because of his can't-lose attitude, I want us to see what was his secret, what is it about that that we can use because you and I can have the same can't-lose life and living. Well, first, a can't-lose attitude includes confident assurance. Confident. You'll notice the first three words of verse 19, for I know, I'm completely convinced, I'm confident that whatever happens, my deliverance, he says the word, for, will turn out for my deliverance, salvation. It speaks of personal well-being. It doesn't mean the salvation of, in Jesus Christ. He said one way or the other, I'm going to be delivered. I may be delivered out of this prison, I might be delivered up out of this prison to the heaven. But one way or the other, I'm going to be delivered. I'm going to turn, it's going to turn out all right. If I die, I get to be with Jesus forever. If I live, I get to serve Jesus more. And folks, when you commit your life to Christ, you belong to him. Your deliverance is assured. You're going to be delivered. Your well-being, your deliverance might be immediately in the moment. Your deliverance might be eventually over time. Your deliverance might be ultimately in eternity. But that's why he could be optimistic. He said, one way or the other, I'm going to win. You know, you may not be a positive thinker. Did you know if you're not? You need to start working on getting rid of some of those negative thoughts because it will shorten your life. It takes 72 hours to physically overcome one negative thought is what science tells us. It takes 21 days to replace a habit or a negative way of thinking. And science tells us that that kind of thinking can shorten your lifespan by 16 years. Some of you just all the time are thinking negative thoughts. You're kind of like the California guy who was a pessimist, and he had a card in his wallet that said, in case of an accident, I'm not surprised. <laughs> there are some of you that think that way, and sometimes we often strike out at God and say, why, God, why are you allowing this to happen to me, or why is this going on? But the lesson that history has taught us and that the Word of God teaches us is that we, our souls graduate from the school of conflict, never from the school of convenience. You don't grow when everything's convenient. You grow when things may not look very good for you. And where did this confidence come? Two things in verse 19. First of all, it's the supplication of the saints. He said, your prayer for me is going to get me through. When's the last time you prayed for someone? Intercession for other people releases power into their life. And, and intercession for other people helps them make it through. The command to pray for one another is not just a magnificent privilege. It's an awesome responsibility. Do you believe God will hear you when you pray? Do you pray for other people? Sometimes people don't know how to pray for themselves, but you can pray for them. Don't just use the trite phrase, I'll be praying for you. In fact, I've learned when somebody sends me a text or an email that says, please be in prayer for so-and-so, I stop right then if I can and say, Lord, I don't know what I was going. I pray for him right then. I try to. 
Or if somebody walks up to me and says, will you be praying for my family if it's where I can or be praying for something? I try to pray for them right then for, for two reasons. First of all, they need it. And secondly, I don't want to forget it. But don't say you're going to pray for somebody if you don't pray for them. But praying for other people is incredible. And you see God working he answers prayers. I'm reminded of the little five-year-old Bobby who came up to his daddy and said, Daddy, I, I want a little brother. His dad thought for a moment. He said, I tell you what, Bobby, if you'll pray every day for two months, I can promise you God's going to send you a little brother because daddy knew something little Bobby didn't know. <laughs> Bobby prayed every night for a month, and then he got tired, and he kind of slacked off. Another, went, another month went by. Mom went to the hospital, came home had a bundle. They brought Bobby into the bedroom. There's a little bundle on a table. He pulls back the blanket, and there's two of them. <laughs> Twins. Dad said to Bobby, what do you think about that? Do you think that's good? And he said, yeah, I do, but aren't you glad I quit when I did? <laughs> quit praying when I did. Paul said, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be okay because you're praying for me. In a moment, I'll show you what he wanted them to pray for in verse 20. But the second thing, he said, I have the supply of the Holy Spirit. In addition to the prayers of the Philippians, Paul said, the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. You see, prayer accomplishes the mission of the church because prayer unleashes the power of the Holy Spirit. Unless we have within us that which is above us, we soon shall yield to the pressures around us. Paul said, I have the supply of the Holy Spirit. So you see human intercession and divine intervention right there in verse 19. He said, I'm going to be okay. Isn't that cool? And he said, and then in verse 20, according to my earnest expectation, the word translates a word that you've done. You have stretched out your neck looking for something. Maybe you've been at the parade, you couldn't see, or you're looking down the road looking for the parade to come to stretch out your neck. You're earnestly looking. Paul said, I know everything's going to turn out because I'm earnestly looking for an earnest expectation and hope. And he said, and here's the content. He said, here's how the prayers, here's how I want you to pray for me. In verse 20, first of all, that I will never do anything that would bring shame to the Lord. I don't want him to be ashamed. I don't want to be ashamed. Has the idea of disappointment. Paul didn't want to compromise during all these difficult times. God, don't let me do anything that would cause shame to Christianity. He said, I, I also want to keep my courage, my boldness in verse 20, that with all boldness, I will continue on. And they said that I pray that I might always magnify Christ. Magnify means to make something great or conspicuous. It means to make bigger than it is. How do you make Jesus bigger than he is? You can't. What Paul is saying is, I want the Christ that lives in me to be more conspicuous than ever. No matter what happens to me, I want Jesus to shine forth. I want people not to be surprised who I follow. I want people to know that I love the Lord, that I am following him. When you look at a star at night through a telescope, you don't make that star bigger. You just make it more easier to see, more conspicuous. 
That's what he's saying. I want Jesus to be conspicuous in my life. And that's how you can pray for me, that I won't do anything to shame him, that I'll always be bold, and that Jesus Christ will become more and more conspicuous in what I do. But notice the last phrase in verse 20. Magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Isn't that amazing? One of the reasons Paul could live this way, he wasn't afraid to die. Can you say that? Are you afraid to die? Depends on what you're talking about. I'm not looking forward to the process because <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to die. I mean, personally, I've asked the Lord to let me go in my sleep, just wake up in heaven. Wouldn't we all like to do that? But what happens when you draw your last breath? Are you afraid? You know, a lot of people worry about the future and what might happen in an accident or some dreaded disease. But of all the fears that people have, modern man is afraid to die. And yet Paul had been completely delivered from the dread of what might happen. Paul said, if I live or die, oh, I, I just want Jesus to be magnified. Now, you know what? We want people to know we're living for Christ and that I want them to see Christ in me. But have you ever thought about Christians not only show people how to live, but they can show people how to die? Really? Even when we're dying... We can still say, Lord, I want you to be magnified. I want people to know that I follow you. He was confident. He wasn't arrogant. He said, I know I'm going to be okay. Don't you like? That's a win-win. I can't lose. A can't lose attitude also involves a committed approach. Verse 21 is one of the most famous in the book of Philippians. Next to, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Here he says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now we learned that verse when we were children. We've heard it recited. We've memorized it. We've heard it repeated over and over. But this verse reveals why Paul did what he did and why he said what he said and how he found the strength to go through no matter what he was going through. Notice his, I call it his confident declaration. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Whatever your lot in life is, build something on it. What are you building on it? Many people know how to make a living, but they don't know how to live. Paul knew how to make a living. He supported himself making a tent, but even more important, Paul knew how to live. He said, for to me, to live is Christ. What does that mean? I love what F.B. Meyer said. He said, the essence of our life, that Christ is the essence of our life, the model of our life, the aim of our life, the solace of our life, the reward of our life. Think of the prepositions that express relationship. We live in Christ, for Christ, 
by Christ, through Christ, and from Christ. He is the beginning and the middle and the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the A and the Z, and every letter in between. Life equals Jesus. And he said to me, it's emphatic. He continued to live as always to magnify Christ. That was his desire. What is your desire? A man went in a department store, picked up a pair of pajamas to buy. On it, it said they were shrink resistant. Now, what does that mean? So he went up to a clerk. He said, this says shrink resistant. Are they going to shrink or not? The clerk said, yeah, they're going to shrink, but they just don't want to. Well, I'm going to tell you, Paul wasn't going to shrink. He wanted to. He wants to serve the Lord. He, he, he said, I'm going to serve him. What does that mean? A couple of things quickly. First of all, Jesus is the initiator of Paul's life. You don't have life without Jesus. What did Jesus say? I, and you finish this. I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. Three parts to man, body, soul, and spirit. When we sinned, when man sinned in the garden, his spirit died. His soul progressively died. His mind, emotions, and will started downhill and eventually died in his body. When Christ comes into your life, he gives you life. Your spirit, his spirit lives in you, makes your spirit alive, which then affects your mind, emotions, will. And one day we're going to get a new body to go with that. But he's the initiator of life. Without Jesus, there is no spiritual life. He's also the ideal. He was the goal. Paul said, I want to be more like him. I'm not going to ever be him, but I want to be more like him. And the ideal is to be like Christ, not like somebody else that you know. Don't compare yourself to anyone else. Your ideal is to be like the Lord. And Jesus is the inspiration of Paul's life. That's what it means. What keeps me going is Jesus Christ. So basically, there's three statements to remember that Christ is life. Christ transforms life. Christ transcends life. He's the initiator He's the ideal, and he is the inspiration for life. But then he throws in this, to die is kurdos, gain. It's an old word for profit made on an investment, a dividend. Paul said, if I die, I'm going to cash in all my investments and receive both principal and interest so I will have more of Christ than even when I was living. He said, I can't lose. If I were to ask what word you would associate with the word death, what would you say? Now, unfair in here because I've just quoted it as gain, but you ask the average Joe on the street and you say, when you think of death, what are some of the words that come to mind? And I doubt any, unless they were believers, would ever say gain. Why? Because we think we're in the land of the living, going to the land of the dying. But folks, it's just the opposite. We're in the land of the dying. If you don't believe me, look in the mirror. (laughs) 
some of you died more than others last week. <laughs> We're not going to get out of here alive physically. Why would he gain? What, what is there to gain? Alexander McLaren was a preacher many years ago. He had a sermon on this passage, and here's what he said about gain. He said, we lose everything we don't need. We lose the world, the flesh, and the devil. We lose our trials, our troubles, our tears, our fears, and our weaknesses. We keep everything that matters. We keep our personality, our identity, and our knowledge of all that is good. And we gain what we never had before. We gain heaven, the saints, the angels, the presence of God, and Jesus himself. Although I've never seen it, I've been told there's a headstone in a cemetery in Montgomery, Alabama that reads like this, under the clover and under the trees, here lies the body of Jonathan Pease. Pease ain't here, only the pod. Pease shelled out and went home to God. <laughs> I've often, I tell my wife, I want on my headstone, here lies the shell of a man, the nuts gone to heaven. You're going to gain. The old evangelist, years ago, an old evangelist, John R. Rice, was preaching in Waxahachie, Texas, south of Dallas. And as was his custom, he preached hard against sin, especially against the bootleggers bringing illegal liquor into that small Texas town. Eventually, the powers that be decided that this pesky evangelist must be silenced. They sent a message to stop preaching or they would kill him. And here's what John R. Rice said. You can't threaten me with heaven. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? You see, Paul's confident declaration, for me to live as Christ, if, you, if I die, it's just going to get better. And why do most people think that dying is going to be so bad? Because a, a lot of, even Christians, they don't get excited about it. Now, the reason is, first of all, God put in us the desire to live as long as we can. But a lot of people's concept of heaven is what you're doing right now, sitting for eternity in church. Some of you think that eternity is about half over now. And it hadn't been an hour yet. <laughs> right? No, don't answer that. <laughs> Heaven's not going to be anything like this. You ain't seen nothing yet. God's having a do-over. A new heaven, a new earth. Hadn't been touched by sin. We're going to be there one day. The ultimate reality. But only those who know Jesus are going to be there. Paul said, you can't threaten me with heaven. <laughs> you just send me home. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. The word absent means to leave, to immigrate, to, to move on. The word present is the, home, is the word for homeland. Paul said, you're just going to send me home. 
But also notice his conflicting desire. Now, he, he's, in fact, he uses the word in verse 23, I'm hard-pressed. I'm in a strait between two, King James says, hard-pressed. The word describes a traveler going through a very narrow passageway with a wall of rock on either side, unable to go side to side, but only able to go forward. Paul could not avoid the future with his options of either life or death. You're either going to live or die. We don't have any choice. We're going to keep on going until the Lord calls us home. I call it a promotion. And believe me, folks, it is a promotion. I want to read out of a newspaper article. The world is too big for us. Too much going on. Too many crimes. Too much violence and excitement. Try as you will, you'll get behind in the race in spite of yourself. It's an incessant strain to keep pace and still you lose ground. Science empties its discoveries on you so fast that you stagger beneath them in the hopeless bewilderment. The political world is news seen so rapidly you're out of breath trying to keep pace with who's in and who's out. Everything is high pressure. Human nature can't endure much more. This was written June 16th, 18. 63, 1833, 190 years ago. Has anything changed? No. We just know more. We can just worry more because now we know everything that's going on all the time. You and I are headed down the path called life. And whether the Lord gives us many more years or decides to take us home, Paul said, you know, I... I've seen the other side. I've gotten a glimpse, and I desire to go home. In fact, the word, I desire to depart. I'm hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart. I'm, I'm so ready to go. That word depart, if you've heard me in the last 18 years and the 250 funerals I've done, you've heard me say this. That word depart is a beautiful picture for a Christian. It was an agricultural term. It was used to take the yoke off an ox after it plowed all day, let it rest. It was a military term, meant to take down the tent, fold it up, put it in another place. Incidentally, Paul called us a tent in Romans, excuse me, in 2 Corinthians 5. It was also a nautical term. It used to untie a ship, let it sail out of the harbor. Sometimes it was used for the burden on a man to take it off and let it roll off on his back. Paul said, I'm so ready to go. I'm so ready to depart. Untie me, let me go. Unyoke me, let me go. Only a person that says to me living is Christ can say that. For see... The world's philosophy says for me to live is money and to die is to leave it behind. For me to live is fame and to die is to be forgotten. For me to live is power and to die is to relinquish it. Only when we live for Christ does death bring any gain. And notice what he says in verse 23. It's far better. In other words, he's saying it doesn't get any better than this. Now, you've used that term when something is really going good. You're going, man, it just doesn't get any better than this. I hate to burst your bubble, but it does get better. 
You ain't seen nothing yet. George Sweeting wrote several books. He's a Christian leader of years ago. I'm pretty sure he was president of a college. I can't remember which one. But anyway, he went to visit one of his friends whose wife was dying. And he went to try to console them. And he's the one that became consoled, I guess you would say. Because when he got there, his friend looked at him and, and he was calm. And his wife who was dying was calm. And, and George Sweeting asked his friend, he said, I don't understand how you're so calm in all of this. And his friend said, George, if your wife Beverly were going to Hawaii, would you be happy for her? He said, yeah. He said, George, heaven is so much better than Hawaii. We don't want the separation. I'm not saying that Paul was wanting to die. He was just basically saying, I'm not going to lose either way. And finally, you're not going to like this one. I'm going to make some people mad on this one. I'm not. Holy Spirit will. A can't-lose attitude has a continued awareness. And look at verse 24. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. More needful, more necessary. Same word that he uses in 1 Corinthians 9, 16, where he said, I'm under compulsion for woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. In other words, Paul is saying, I'm not going to die just yet, and I'm going to be spared because you need me right now. He wasn't being arrogant. This was a young church that he helped plant. He said, me being here is more needful for you. And even though he preferred to go on and be with the Lord, he put aside his own preferences for the good of others. And there's some positive benefits. Paul is saying, if I'm here, I'm going to live for Christ, verse 21. I'm going to see fruit from my labor, verse 22. And I'm going to help you, verses 24 through 26. Paul's saying, I can't lose either way. If, if I die, it's gain for me. If I live, gain for you. Now let me ask you a hard question. Well, first of all, how do you stop a man like that? You can't stop a guy like that. Think about it. Go ahead and kill him. He'll die with a smile on his face. Put him in prison. He'll preach to the guards. Put him in jail at midnight. He'll start singing Amazing Grace. Run him out of town. He'll just go down the road and start another church in the next village. Stone him. He'll use the rocks to build a sanctuary. Can you say that your service is needful? Really, not everybody is a teacher. Not everybody's a singer. Not everybody is up, uh, up in the front of people. But if you were to die, would there be anything left undone? I mean, would anybody miss anything you do? For the Lord, I'm not saying they won't miss you, but will God's kingdom be hindered at all? Mighty quiet. Dwight L. Moody said, I'm only one, but I am one. I can't do everything, but I can do something. And that which I can do by the grace of God, I will do. George W. Truett, the pastor of First Baptist Church many years ago, said it's not the talents one has that makes him great, however many and brilliant they may be. 
It's not the vast amount of study that gives mental enrichment to the mind and life. It's not in shining social qualities. It's not the large accumulation of wealth that secures peace and honor. In none of these measured by God's standards does greatness reside. The true greatness consists in the use of all the talents one has in unselfish ministry to others. If there's anything I don't like about TV ministry and online ministry, I love the fact that some people cannot come shut-ins, elderly, they can't get here. I praise God for that. But what I don't like is the people who watch and don't do anything that could do something. They could come. They could contribute. They could be part of the ministries. There are a lot of Christians who are doing nothing. But there are no Christians who have nothing to do. The progress in verse 25, to, to continue with you all for your progress. It's the same word for using verse 12 of the pioneer advance of the gospel. I want to see you progressing in the Lord and joy and faith speaks of the characteristic of life that grows out of a relationship with the Lord. Paul told the Philippians they should experience a deep abiding joy that the world doesn't have to offer. The world can't give it to you and the world can't take it away. Do you have any joy in your life? Some of you, you take, life is too short to be, just take it seriously all the time. Listen, if you're in ministry, you better learn to laugh at yourself. And if you can't laugh at yourself, call me. I'll laugh at you. <laughs> no, seriously, there's got to be some joy in, in, the, in, the, in the journey. Yeah, life is hard and it's full of difficult circumstances, but you can't go around like Eeyore and Winnie the Pooh, oh, bother, oh, bother. You've got some joy in your life. Amen. There was a philosopher by the name of Horace Callan who put it perfectly when he said, there are those who guide their lives by fear of death. There are those who guide their lives by the joy of life. Those who guide their lives by the fear of death live dying. But those who guide their lives by the joy of life die living. I want to live till I die. I want to do something. Even if I'm praying, even if I'm encouraging, even if I do something, I just want to do something for the Lord as long as I've got breath and life. Okay, I'm done. After the third time, I'll agree with you. <laughs> but let me ask you something in all seriousness. What will death be like for you? You see, you cannot say to die is gain 
unless you can say the first part of verse 21, for to me to live is Christ. And if you cannot say to live is Christ, how can you be sure that to die is gain? There are three things you better get right. You've only got one chance to do it. You had better get your life right. And only Jesus can do that for you. You had better get your death right. Only Jesus can do that. And you had better get forever right. And only Jesus can do that. And only when Jesus is in your life do you have all three of those right. You can be a professional churchgoer. There's not a person in this room that can top my attendance record in church all my life. You may have lived longer than me, but I've still got the same percentage, if not better, than you all my life. Going to church doesn't shave you. You're not born a Christian. I, it always aggravates me when people, I was born a Christian. No, you weren't. You may have been born in a Christian family, but you weren't born a Christian. You have to be born again to be a Christian, and that's through Jesus Christ. Folks, I just want you to be sure. I'm not trying to make you doubt your salvation. But you're all basing your death and eternity on something. And it should be evident in the way that you're living now because if Jesus is your life, I didn't say you're perfect, none of us are, but your desire is to become more and more like him so that when I draw my last breath, I don't want you worrying about me when I draw my last breath. I'll be more alive then than I've ever been. So today, to receive Christ, how do you do that? Well, first of all, you ask God to forgive you. And what's amazing is that God wants to forgive you. You don't have to beg him. You've got to believe. You've got to believe that Jesus, the one mediator between God and man, came to this earth as one of us, lived a sinless life, died for our sins. The wages of sin is death. He rose again. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And you ask God to forgive you. You first have to know you're lost. Admit it. And then you ask Christ to come into your life. You don't just pray a prayer. It's a commitment of your life. I didn't just say a saying to my wife the day I got married. I committed my life to her. It wasn't just saying a saying. Repeating a vow. If you don't know Jesus more than anything on earth, we want you to know him. Southcrest Baptist Church can't save you. It can't save anybody. So if you don't know him, today's your day. If you're in the venue and you don't know Jesus, don't take my word for it. Look at God's word. Jesus, he said about himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Isn't it interesting? He said life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. And now's your time to do that. Would you bow your heads with me? Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message.